Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the ways in which you speak to us, and we ask that through this psalm you would reveal yourself to us in a fresh way, in a true way, Lord. We ask that you would help us to understand the truth that you're teaching us here, that you would convict us where we need to be convicted, you would encourage us where we need to be encouraged, and you would give us a vision for gathering together here in moments like this. And Lord, help us see past today to eternity, where we get to gather together with all the saints throughout every generation, where we get to spend eternity with you, worshiping you forever and ever. Help us, Lord, to see that day, to live this day in light of that future day. Help us to encourage one another, Lord, with this truth. Lord, help us to ultimately glorify you with the lives you've given us to live. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. So, there's this author, his name's Randy Alcorn, and his name came up recently in a book study we were doing um, and the reason I'm bringing it up now is uh, Randy has written a number of books on heaven. He's spoken a lot about heaven and he, uh, he kind of gives a perspective about how we look at this life that we're currently living in light of the future life that we have together with Christ in eternity because of what Christ has done for us. And um, there's certain things that he's written that have just helped me to uh, have that perspective. And I want to share a quote for you, with you, from him. And this is, comes from his book, Money, Possessions, and Eternity. And again, if you've, if you've never read this book, I encourage you to read it. I think we have little copies of it in the bookstore, a ton of them. Um, and it's a smaller version of this book. It, I think it's called The Treasure Principle. And you can have that book. It's free. It's back there. Um, but here's, here's what he has to say in this book, Money, Possessions, and Eternity. He, think, he says, I think of our lives in terms of a dot and a line, signifying two phases. Our present life on earth is the dot. It begins, it ends. It's brief. However, from the dot, a line extends that goes on forever. That line is eternity, which Christians will spend in heaven. Right now we're living in the dot, but what are we living for? The short-sighted person lives for the dot. The person with perspective lives for the line. This earth and our time here is the dot. Our beloved bridegroom, the coming wedding, the great reunion, and our eternal home in the new heavens and the new earth, they're all on the line. So I love this little section from Randy Alcorn because it brings a right perspective, doesn't it? So often, when we think about the life that we're currently living... So often we can think about the things that we're currently walking through, whether they're good or they're bad or whatever it is. We can just, we can just think that it, this is what it is. 
Meaning that this is all that there is. And so we end up living for just this moment. Or as Randy would say, we just end up sort of living for the dot. When God has given us so much more to live for. Than just the things that we experience here on earth. So I also share this with you because this writer of this psalm helps us live not just for the dot. But he helps us see beyond the dot to live for the line. What we see is this psalmist was not short-sighted. He could see past this life to something greater. So the question I have for us at the beginning of this message is what, what do we see or what do you see this morning? Can you see past today? Can you see to living in eternity forever with Christ in a place that's perfect? The new heavens and the new earth. Sometimes when we, we talk about heaven, and this came up in the book study, is, is it's, it's hard, honestly, to get our arms around it sometimes, isn't it? We, we know it's there, and we read about it in the Bible, and we, 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 we know about the new heavens and the new earth, but the reality is none of us have experienced it yet. And so we live with this great hope for it, Trusting Christ that will gain it or be rewarded with it and we long for it. But because we're not there yet, it's hard, it's hard to get our arms fully around it. Yet we're still called to live this life thinking about that life. Thinking about eternity together in heaven and allowing for that to inform then how we live this life. What we hold on to, what we value, how much we value those things. So what we're going to learn from this psalm this morning is just this simple truth. As Christians, we must live for the line and not the dot. As Christians, we must live for the line and not the dot. And we learn this perspective as we enter into the psalmist's joy here. And we're going to take a look at, at three points. We're going to look at three things that we see the psalmist doing. And in the first point, we, just, we, we see the psalmist, his joy. We get to take a look at the psalmist's joy. So look with me again at verse 1. He writes, Point number 1, the psalmist's joy. Let's look at verse 1. It says the following said, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. The psalmist did not live in the city of Jerusalem. He, like many of the Israelites, lived in the surrounding area, miles and miles away with their families. But three times a year, God called for his people to sort of stop what they're doing. And I shared this last week in Psalm 121, that these are the, the song of ascents. These are, these are a section of scripture, a section of psalms that the people of God would use as they would travel up to Jerusalem to worship the Lord at least three times a year as the Lord had ordained for them to do for the feast of the Passover and the feast of first fruits and the feast of 
booths. And so what these people would do is, is they'd leave whatever it is they were doing. They'd leave their farms. They'd leave their businesses. They'd leave everything. And they would all travel up to Jerusalem to worship the Lord, to celebrate God's grace. And so that's what we find the psalmist describing and talking about here as he anticipates entering into Jerusalem. And so when the psalmist heard the news that they would be traveling to Jerusalem to worship the Lord with all of God's people, he was overwhelmed with a sense of joy. And the main reason for this joy was that Jerusalem was where the Lord dwelled with his people. Where the Lord's presence was made specifically known in the temple. For the Old Testament believer, the temple was the place where God had chosen to make his presence known. It's where he lived, so to speak. No other place on earth at that time was described like this or could make that claim. All the Israelites, they, they would have known this. The Lord prescribed this temple specifically so that his people could gather there and he could be their God and he could speak to them in specific ways. And so they would go up to Jerusalem so they could go to the temple to worship the Lord. And so the psalmist stands in Jerusalem, the place of the Lord, and he's jumping with joy. He's excited to be with God's people, to worship God for his grace. It's where he's supposed to be. And he's doing what God has created him to do. And so he worships the Lord for that. In Psalm 27, verse 4, we see King's David, King David's heart for Jerusalem. Psalm 27, verse 4 says the following. He says, one thing have I asked of the Lord. That will I seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire... In his temple. Under the old covenant, a believer's worship of the Lord, it centered on and around the temple, which was at the center of Jerusalem. But we don't live under the old covenant. We live under the new covenant. And under the new covenant, we have the promises of having the law written on our hearts, the forgiveness of sin, being God's children, and eternal life through faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. For us, under the new covenant, it's not about an actual geographical place. It's about Christ. It's about being found in Christ and being his people who've been redeemed by his blood. And we get to gather together in contexts like this. So it's not about an actual city here on earth. It's about a city that we anticipate, a new Jerusalem where we'll be with Christ forever and ever. Hebrews 12, verse 14 says the following. It says, For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. And this city that is to come, it doesn't have a temple. It doesn't have a temple because the Lord Jesus will actually be there. In Revelation 21, verse 22, we get to catch a glimpse of what eternity might look like. Revelation 21, verse 22, here's what it says. It says, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. 
and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? As we think about the new heavens and we think about this, this, this new city, as we anticipate spending eternity together with all believers throughout every generation where there will be no temple because our Savior will actually be there. See what I mean about it's hard sometimes. Like, how do you imagine that? But the Lord is kind and he gives us pictures of it and he describes it and he, he he's helping us see it so that so that we might sit here in a day like this or you might walk out of here and you might wake up tomorrow with this anticipation for what God has for us in the future so as you get to walk through maybe something hard maybe it's a suffering thing or maybe it's this blessing where where you get to rejoice in all of God's goodness and we even sang about it like all of those things we experience here on earth, at the end of the day, there's something sort of unsatisfying about them. Where it's not, it's not that, that, it doesn't completely satisfy us. And the reason for that is because it's not supposed to. Because this is just the dot. God has called us to something so much better and so much greater. And, and he describes it a little bit for us in Revelation 21 verse 22. And so we got to work hard sometimes to try to get our minds around it and to remind one another that, that this is what awaits us, where we get to spend eternity in a place where there will be no suffering, there will be no pain, and there will be no evil, where our Savior will be, and His glory will shine so bright that there's not going to be a need for a sun or a moon or any of those kind of things, but we'll be with Him forever and ever, and it'll be perfect. And so it's meant to inform how, how we live today. And not just that, it's meant to bring us this joy. And so as we live out our life and we, and we think about what, what's out there in front of us, what Christ has done for us and, and saved us from and, and has given to us through his life and through his death and through his resurrection, there should be this sense of joy as we live out our life in anticipation of what is to come. See, we're just sort of passing through this world, waiting for the Lord to call us home so that we might spend eternity with him. Derek Thomas, in his commentary on this psalm, wrote the following. He said, we too should know the joy of belonging to this city. The thrill of entering the place where God's presence is known. His word supplied. His grace promised. In part, this realization is ours by faith in Christ. But its full realization awaits the dawning of the new heavens and the new earth, where God's people will gather to worship the Davidic King, Jesus Christ. Whenever we gather together for worship in the church of Jesus Christ, we anticipate a little of that fullness. So I read a little bit of that because it's, it's encouraging, but I also just wonder... 
When you show up on a Sunday, do, do you have that sort of anticipation of what's to come? It's going to be glorious. I, I loved singing these songs we sang this morning. I told Chris, thanks for picking out those songs. I, I love being reminded of Jesus Christ. Our rock and our redeemer. I, I love listening to your voices as you sing these songs because it reminds me of these truths that we're singing about. It reminds me as well that, that I'm not alone. We're not alone. That we're actually part of something so much bigger than, than just ourselves. And what Derek Thomas is getting at is, is this is just a tiny glimpse of what we're going to experience in heaven together. And so there's a sense that when we show up on a Sunday morning and gather together as a local church, that, that, that there's something better than this. That God has saved us for eternity with Him. And that should produce in us this great joy. This great joy of, of what's to come and of God's own goodness towards us. That's what the psalmist was sort of experiencing as he's standing at the gates of Jerusalem, thinking about what God had called him to, there's a sense of joy of just being in the presence of the Lord with God's people. In our second point, we see the pilgrim's joy is turned into praise. So point number two, the psalmist prays. So the psalmist is standing in the city with his eyes wide open, sort of soaking up the sights and the sounds of city life. Listen to what he experienced. Verse 3 says, Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. Their thrones or judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. I can just kind of imagine this, this country boy kind of showing up to the city. You know, you got to do it a couple times a year, and he's out there, and he's at home miles and miles away from everybody else, but now he stands in Jerusalem. I imagine it would be just the excitement of just seeing something so different than what he experienced every day, maybe out on the farm. And what he notices is he just says it's, it's bound firmly together. Just meaning it's just, it's just built on top of each other. There's so much structure, and everything's sort of compacted on top of each other. Every square inch of it was being used as he was used to the country and wide open spaces. Imagine it was a, a bit exciting. See, people didn't live miles apart in the city. They, they shared walls. The people in the city, they, they lived together. And the people he saw there in the city as well, they, they were a diverse group of people. He tells us that there were people from every tribe of Israel gathering together in the city to worship the Lord. They were all there for the same reason. And so there was this sense of unity, yet there were a diverse people representing all of these tribes. The unity with diversity is something that the world we live in seeks, but only the church through faith in Jesus Christ can really realize. Ephesians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul wrote the following about our unity that we have as believers and with other believers. He writes the following. He says, But now, in Christ Jesus, 
You who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that He might create in Himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So what the psalmist sees in Jerusalem, this unity in diversity, is a glimpse of what we experience here today in the church and what we'll experience even greater as we gather together in heaven. A unity yet diversity. A unity that we get as a gift through the gospel of Jesus Christ, who on the cross destroyed the hostility that would divide us. You see, the gospel is the reason that we gather in a context like this. The gospel is the reason that we all can gather, and by that I mean all of us from different parts of the country, all of us from different walks of life, can gather together in a context like this and be united together in our worship can enjoy some of this peace. And it's it's not because we all just go to Sovereign Grace Church. It's so much bigger than that. It's because of Jesus Christ and what He's done for us through His life, death, and resurrection. It's what unifies us. And I was thinking about this unity that we have as believers. As I had the opportunity last night to hang out with a lot of my neighbors. Once a year, we kind of have this uh, social gathering at the pool. And so the neighbors come down and we go to the pool and we're all hanging out. And in my neighborhood, it's, it's a very diverse neighborhood. I live in Ackworth. I don't live over here. So it's my neighborhood is a little bit more diverse. Um, and so just sitting around, we had a couple from India. We had a couple. Uh, the husband grew up in Haiti, but his wife was Haitian as well. Um, we had an older gentleman who was 70 who had lived in our neighborhood for a very long time. And he didn't know any of these people. And he's there, and we're all hanging out. And then we had some younger folks there. And everybody's there. We're having a great time. We're, we're united because we all live in the same neighborhood. We're also, it was interesting, there was a certain age group that also showed its unity as we played music. And I got this idea. I was like, let's just play everybody's favorite song. And so we'd go around, and these, the other guy would play his favorite song, and my Haitian neighbor played his favorite song. And, and the... Indian neighbors, they played their favorite songs. We had this stuff blasted. And then eventually it just sort of turned into like 80s music. And you'd be surprised like what music does when you played. I was just very, like everybody knew Bon Jovi. They just knew it. You started playing or you played like a dance song and, and they'd get up like twist and I was sharing this with somebody. If you play twist and shout, anybody who knows that song, they just kind of get up. And so my neighbor who was 70, he got up and he started doing the twist. So there's this unity around this sort of music, and I was just thinking about it today. That it's fun, but it's not the same type of unity that we experience in the context of the church through faith in Jesus Christ. That unity we had it united us together in the context of that little social gathering we had, and it, it was a good time. But, but the unity we have, because Christ lived in our place and he died on the cross for our sins so that we would be forgiven, is far greater, and it's eternal. It's why we gather here. 
It's why we're able to gather for as many years as we've been able to gather. It's why we'll be able to gather Sovereign Grace Church, Lord willing, when we're all gone. Because this unity, it's not based upon us. This unity we have with one another, with our brothers and sisters from wherever you're at or from whatever part of the world you're from or whatever it is, the economic status, any of that kind of stuff, what Christ has done for us destroys any wall that this world would like to create to divide us. And so what we have together through faith in Jesus Christ, it's just eternal. It's eternal. I say this as many times as I I get to say it. It's better than just your family, your immediate family members. Because even that is, as as good as it may be for some of you, as much as you might love your family members, that's not eternal. What's eternal is what Christ has done for us. What he has given to us through faith in him. And so we have this relationship with one another that's marked by unity Because Christ's blood was shed for it, allowing for us to gather. And so when we gather in a context like this, and we see all the brothers and sisters together like this, it's an opportunity like the psalmist was doing to praise God for it. And to thank him that that we're not alone. And we're never alone. Because Christ has created the church. Brothers and sisters from around the world, from every generation, whom we will gather together with one day forever and ever. See, the gospel transcends cultural and ethnic differences. This leads us to our third and final point where we see the psalmist's prayer. He says, the unity that the psalmist sees in the city motivates him not only to thank God for it, but to pray for continued peace. Verse 6, he says, Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace within our walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, Peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. Now, the name of Jerusalem that actually means city of peace. And so we find the the psalmist praying that the city of peace would be a place of peace for all who live there. Now, this peace that he's talking about is not so much a peace with their enemies. Rather, it's peace from within themselves and as they relate with one another. He doesn't take this unity for granted, and I don't think we should ever take our unity for granted at all. And that's why I think we see him thanking God for this peace and then immediately turning and, and encouraging folks to continue to pray for this peace. Because the temptation to destroy this peace or to create some sort of division amongst God's people, it's just real. And it, it happens more times than not. Division always hurts. Division always destroys. At its core, it separates people, sending them off in different directions. Just just think about your last conflict that you got into with maybe your spouse or your kids or, or someone else. And, and what typically happens in the midst of a conflict is there's a lot of separation. 
there's a lot of fleeing from one another. And so the psalmist is aware of, how, of division and what it does to God's people. And so he's, he's encouraging us, pray for peace, pray for continued peace. Pray that God's people aren't divided. And when I think about texts like this, I think about our church. Our church has a history. If you've been around long enough, you, you know our church. So there's, there's always these potentials for things to divide our church. But our church actually started in 1988. I know a lot of you are new. And so technically, we don't claim 1988 as the beginning of our church. But a church like ours was started in 1988, Sovereign Grace Church um, at the time, but that, that church didn't, didn't last. And by that, I mean, it didn't stay in sovereign grace. As sovereign grace was sort of working out its doctrinal values and things like that, they were putting out these statements of faith and positions, papers, and all that kind of stuff. And so the church that was originally planted in 1988, um, as sovereign grace was sort of nailing down, this is what we believe, they, they couldn't sign on to that. And so what ended up happening is it started to create division in the church over what they believed. And so what ended up happening is was this church that was planted in 1988 sort of went off on its own and became its own church. And there was a small group of folks that were left sort of to replant a church, and that would be this church today. And then there was other folks who sort of didn't want to get caught up in the mess, and they kind of went off to their own other church. And so I just share that with you because I want us to be aware of our history. And I also want to share this with you. It's, it's not unique to us. You could ask any church, any denomination. They just, they work through things. And as we've been studying suffering and hard things, we know that God doesn't waste those things. But God's at work in those things for our good. But I also share it primarily because the reality is division is, is always a potential. There are always things that will pop up in the life of a church, in our church, that will seek to destroy the unity that we enjoy through faith in Christ. And, and here's how it does it. It does it by sort of taking our eyes off of Christ and putting it on something else. Taking something that's not primary... Like Christ is primary because he's the one who, who unites us together through faith. But, but what it does is it takes our eyes off of Christ and it puts it on something else. And then we begin to run off in other directions and we, and we separate from one another. And I'd say in the world that we live in, our world sort of promotes this. And by that I mean our world wants us to take sides on certain things. Our, our world, as much as it wants to bring everybody together, it just can't. Because as we know from this text, and as we know from Ephesians chapter, the only thing that truly unites us eternally and equips us to be a diverse group of people, yet brothers and sisters in Christ, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the psalmist, aware of things like this, he encourages people to pray. Pray. And thank God for this unity, but pray that he would continue to pour out his grace and that we would be a united group of people. And so, church, I want to close our time by praying. But before we do, I, I want to just encourage us and challenge us as a church 
to thank God for this unity we have. The Lord has blessed us with a season where we enjoy one another. We have to work through things at time as stuff comes up, but for the most part, the Lord has been kind and gracious to us to help us stay centered on the gospel, to work through various differences on certain things, but, but let us never take this unity we have for granted. When we get to show up on a Sunday and, and you don't have any thought in the back of your head of, man, I hope I don't see this person. Because when, when that thought comes into your mind, then, then you need to understand that, that division is starting to work its way into our local church. And so when you show up and you're free from that, thank the Lord for that. Because Christ died to make that happen. And I also say this, keep the gospel at the center of your relationships with one another. Do not be surprised when a brother or sister in this church thinks something different than you, maybe says something that offends you. Don't run away from them in those moments, but instead love them by moving towards them and apply the gospel to those situations by working through those differences. And by that, I mean you're probably going to have to ask for forgiveness and then grant forgiveness to someone. And this is where the gospel is good news to us. He, he, he broke down that, that wall of hostility by forgiving us of all of our sins and providing for us a way to work through hard things. To actually forgive somebody in light of all that we have been forgiven of. And so we've been equipped with the good news that helps us maintain the unity that we've experienced through faith in Christ. And so let us, let us fight hard to keep the gospel at the center of our relationships with one another. And let us thank God for these little glimpses we have when we gather together like this. That remind us that this is just the dot. But we have the line out in front of us. That Christ has given us eternal faith in him and we get to spend eternity with him together. So what I want to do in closing is just pray together. So I want to, we're going to take some moment and re, you can break up into, into groups and pray as a family. But what I want us to do is, is thank the Lord. Thank the Lord for his goodness. Thank him for eternal life. Thank him for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then after you're done thanking him, let us pray and ask the Lord for continued peace that the Lord would help us keep the gospel at the center of our relationships with one another and that we would enjoy and continue to enjoy the unity that we have together through faith in Christ. Can we do that? All right, let's take a moment. You can move the chairs around and all that, and then I'll come back up and close us.